Amen. Let's give the choir a hand. Thanks, Miss Elaine, for leading us. Isn't it amazing to uh, sing to the Lord and just hear beautiful praise that really sets your heart in a good position to just to worship God and also to hear from Him. So we really appreciate the choir, Miss Elaine, and the good job they do each week. Today we continue in our series. If you're just joining us, you're coming at a perfect time. We're just starting a new book. Uh, we go through books of the Bible here. Uh, generally on Sunday morning, we go through the New Testament and Wednesday night, the Old Testament. So if you're ever uh, looking for a Bible study midweek, we're going through the book of Genesis right now on Wednesday nights. and We'd love to have you. We have a meal at 5.30 and the service is at 6.15. And it's a great time to get to know people and just fellowship with one another. So today we start in part two of James, and we're going to talk about rethinking those really difficult times. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life it just gets hard. And have you ever been where you just don't want to get out of bed in the morning? Or for those of you who have ever taken a city bus, has this ever happened? You, uh, for those of you listening online, you, it's a woman whose head is caught in the door of a bus. Talk about a really bad day, Right. Uh, let's look at the next picture here, uh, the family photo that you thought was going to be a great family photo op, and the wind blows, and uh, this is not a good Facebook photo. Or you're having your nice cup of coffee in the morning, and a school bus bus crashes through your front living room. What do you do? Or Rover decided to drive the Land Rover, and... Got in a little accident there. Do not let your dog sit in the front seat anymore, right? So, so we, we go through difficult times sometimes, and sometimes we don't know why or what's going on. The story is told of a barber, and he was in a small town, just like you see Annie Griffith's show, kind of that type barber shop. And he was busy cutting hair one day, and all of a sudden a police officer came in, and the barber shop owner was feeling really generous today, and the barber said to the cop, he's like, we really want to thank you for keeping our city safe, our little town, and all that you do, and people can walk the streets freely, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you, so I'm going to cut your hair for free today, it's on the house today, so he cut his hair, the next morning he walked in, and there was a dozen donuts sitting right there, fresh from Krispy Kreme, so he's like, wow, so it made him feel even generous that day. So all of a sudden, a florist walked in, and he told the florist, you know, I really appreciate you making our town so beautiful, the, the flowers that you plant, and you just make this city come alive with vivid colors. And he's like, I'm feeling generous today, so your, your haircut's on the house today. So the next day, he walks in, and there's a dozen bouquet of flowers, a dozen roses sitting there, and he's like, unusual for a barbershop, but thank you. And um, so the next person that walks in the barbershop was a pastor. And so the, the barber says, I, I really appreciate what you do for children and for the people of our town. You're, you're so uh, loving, and I just want to let you know I'm going to give you your haircut for free today. So the next day he walks in, and there's 12 pastors waiting for him to cut their hair. <laughs> so that was a preacher joke. So uh, <laughs> today we're going to talk about the cause and effect of your perspective. And kind of give you a little preview before we jump into the perspective. We're going to talk about how when you're going through really hard times, it's good to have heaven's perspective instead of the worldly perspective. And we're going to talk about how the poor actually can be rich 
And sometimes the rich are actually poor without them even realizing it. And then we're going to talk about the rewards when you pass the test of persevering. So you guys ready to jump into God's word today? All right, we're just going to cover four verses in James 1, verses 9 through 12. If you missed last week, you can listen to the podcast and catch up there from last week. So starting in verse 9, if you will read with me, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, it flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. You might want to write on your, your outline uh, the word trials. It's the same Greek word that can be translated trials or temptations. And some of the other translations put it trials. I think it's the best translation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let us pray. Father, your word is so powerful. And God, I know within the sound of my voice and those listening online to this podcast, there's many who are going through trials, struggles, hardships. And Father, right now, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts. You would help us to understand what your word has to say to us. And I do pray for the brother or sister in Christ that is going through just really hard times, that you would just give them encouragement and hope. I pray for the one here today that hasn't surrendered their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they prepare for not just now, but for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you look at your listening guide, we're going to talk about what to do when you're going through really difficult times. And some of you are like, Timothy, this doesn't apply to me. Everything is good. Well, it's been said that you're either going through a hard time, you're coming out of a hard time, or you're getting ready to go into another hard time. So just hang in there. This will apply one day if it doesn't apply now. So the first point is this. You may have struggles today in this life, but glory awaits you in the next life. Look at verse 9. This verse seems so counterintuitive. It says, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. So the word lowly here is another word we think of uh, meek or humble. And this context is talking about poor. And so James says something that almost contradicts your logic. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you are glad that you have very little money in your bank account right now? I mean, praise God I'm poor. I mean, that's like... I haven't met very many people that do that. Um, how many of you are like thinking, God, you just got the pink slip and lost your job? How many of you are thinking, God, that life is really hard right now? I mean, that's like, how, how could you even say such a thing? And James has given us a different perspective. He's saying, okay, you have the worldly perspective. And the worldly perspective teaches that if you're poor, you're really not doing that great. I mean, because everyone wants the American dream to get rich to have two houses and three cars and the yacht. And, but James says, you're really seeing from a worldly perspective. And sometimes we get it wrong. And I read a funny story about a small country church. And they were having their, their business meetings. How many of you guys enjoy, guys enjoy church business meetings? Anybody? A few of you. Okay. So they were having the church business meeting. And they were voting on the need for a new chandelier. And so they were getting ready to vote, and right before they uh, asked for the first motion, can I hear, you know, an amen or whatever they do in business meetings, I don't know. Um, 
this old farmer stood up and said, before we vote on this, I want to tell you why this proposition is wrong for three reasons. And it's three reasons. Number one, the chandelier is too expensive and we can't afford it. That was his first reason. The second reason, he said, there isn't anyone around this church that knows how to play one. And the third reason, what we really need in this church is a new light fixture. So sometimes we just got the wrong perspective on it. And what James says is like, okay, if you're poor, and keep in mind for those of you who missed last week, he was writing to Jewish Christians who were scattered abroad. Many of them had to leave houses and jobs, and, and they were poor and struggling. And many of them were being oppressed by other Jewish people as well as people in that area. So they were running for their lives because many people were killing them. If you'll go back to the book of Acts, remember when Saul, before he became Paul, uh, started persecuting the church, how the Christians scattered except for the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem? Well, part of that was many of them were poor and on the run. So these lowly believers thought, man, I thought if you became a Christian, everything would be great, the kingdom of God, great things, and we're running for our lives, and we're barely eating ramen noodle. I mean, this, I don't know if it was back then, but it was like, what do we do? We're struggling. So in the kingdom of God, if you look on your listening guide, everything is flipped right side up. Notice I didn't say upside down. It's right side up, really the way things should be. The world's weapon is force, but the Christian's weapon is what? Faith. The world puts self first, but the Christian puts Jesus and others first. The world seeks material prosperity, but Christians seek the true riches, the spiritual riches. The world teaches that we are to hold on to life, but the Christian has told us to die to self. The world teaches that greatness is when others serve us, but what does the Bible teach us? Greatness is found when we serve others. The world teaches us to get, and the Christian is taught to give. The world teaches that truth is just a concept, and often they teach it's relative, but Christianity teaches that truth is not only absolute, but it's a person, and it's real. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So how, how does this person rejoice, exalt, boast in the fact that he's poor and struggling? Well, one thing to realize is the Bible tells us that God is often an advocate for the underdog. You see it throughout the book of Proverbs, through the whole Bible. Because whenever you're poor and struggling, guess what? You're praying for the daily bread because unless God delivers, you go hungry, right? Um, so when, whenever you're struggling, whenever you're humble, you often become hungry for God. If you look with me on your outline, um, there's a few things I've composed through the Bible to give you an idea about true humility, what it can often bring and lead to. True humility brings about God's wisdom for everyday life. God loves to pour out his wisdom upon those who are humble. True humility, in, in some, some cases, this is a proverb, it can lead to riches, honor, and life. And you're like, well, riches, I'm, I'm poor. Well, spiritual riches, but realize one day... You're going to inherit the kingdom. You're going to be with God forever, walking on the street of gold. That sounds pretty good to me. True humility makes one great in the kingdom of God. Jesus brought a little child and said, if you want to know what greatness is, look at this little child, this childlike faith. Those who have this humility are great. Um, we read from Philippians 2 that true humility promotes unity among Christians. You ever notice in marriage, and um, for those of you who are single or dating, 
Uh, this is just a little marriage tip. You know what causes a lot of fights? Pride. Because you're trying to propose that you're right, the other person's wrong. But whenever you humble yourself and say, yes, dear, <laughs> all the guys are laughing. You know, it's like that's humbling yourself. It, you have to let it lay aside pride. So that's for those of you who are engaged newly, that's a free tip there that will help you. Unity. Um, true humility is a catalyst for God lifting up when you are down. James 4.10, that's referenced in that. It says, when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, guess what he'll do? He will lift you up. He'll give you honor. True humility precedes a fresh outpouring of God's grace. I don't know about you guys, but I need grace upon grace every single day. So when I humble myself, the Bible says God pours out his grace upon me. True humility leads to divine promotion in God's perfect time. In the scripture I just referred to, that when you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, he will exalt you in due season or due time. So think about that. Those are So that's why it says the lowly brother can glory in his exaltation because guess what? I don't see the world as the world sees. The world looks at me and sees me as someone who's poor and struggling. God sees me as an heir of faith. The world sees me as, well, it doesn't have status, doesn't have a country club membership. God looks at someone that's poor, someone that's struggling, and says, well, they're mine. And if they're mine, they're rich. And that, that's what really matters. So that, that brings up a question that some of you are thinking, well, what about if you're wealthy and a Christian? Well, we're going to talk about that. Um, number two, happiness found in this world is fleeting so don't set your heart on that which is short-lived. So in other words, being wealthy and a Christian is not bad. It's, it's part of God's blessing. We're all blessed in different ways. But what is bad is when I set my heart on riches, when I set my heart on wealth. It's okay to have things as long as things don't have you. Does that make sense to everyone? Say, uh-huh. So let's look at verse 10 and 11, and we're going to talk about different interpretations of verse 10. It says, but the rich in his humiliation. So before we read the rest, who is the rich? Who is this talking about? Well, the scholars are divided almost 50-50. Some scholars say this is a rich Christian that is focusing on his or her material things. And James says, listen, don't, don't set your heart on things. Set your heart on Jesus. It's good to have money, but realize Christ is the most important. The other camp of scholars think this is a rich lost person. And the reason why they give for that interpretation is you notice there's no rich brother. If you read verse 9, let the lowly brother. And then verse 10, let the rich. And there's no noun beside it. So it's 50, you could interpret it either way. I tend to believe that this is talking about a rich lost person. You think about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and had everything. And Jesus said, give it all away. Because he knew that money was his God. So the Bible doesn't frown upon rich people who are using it for the kingdom. The Bible frowns on people whose money is their God. It's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the what? The love of money. So a lot of times people who have means read James and they're like, whoa, he's hard on rich people. I think he's hard on rich lost people because they're depending on money as their God. And he said that God will not save you in the end. Because look, read, read the next verse. And I think it, it supports the interpretation of this is a rich lost person because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. You ever notice that, you know, you start off life as this beautiful flower, and then we all end up in the coffin one day, unless the Lord comes? That's just the way of life. 
It says, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, it flowers, falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. I don't think James is rebuking a rich Christian. I think he's rebuking a rich lost person that says, I've got it all. And James says, listen, one day you're going to die. So you can't put your stock on money because that won't save you. So I want you guys to think about that. Um, your perspective determines everything. So James is talking to a person that's a Christian but struggling and saying, listen, this world's not all there is. There is a world beyond this world. There's eternity. So hang in there. Life is going to get better. It's not your best life now. It's your best life later. That would be a good book title, right? Your best life now. X off your best life later. <laughs> so and th- this is an illustration I get from my friend Steve Scoggins. He says, suppose that I want to give you a gift And I could give you $200 right now, but if you're willing to wait, I would give you $2 million, but you have to wait two months. How many of you would want the $200 right now? (laughs) How many of you would be willing to wait two months for the $2 million? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody in here. So, and you're like, that's that's a crazy illustration, Timothy. Well, if you look at eternity versus the 100 years you live here, plus or minus a few years, Eternity is like if you'll just live for Christ now, what's beyond is like saying, I'm giving up the 200 for the 2 million, spiritually speaking. So this world and all that it offers, it's very short and it's very temporary. So regardless of what you've heard in church in the past, sin is fun. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. The problem with sin is only for a season. And the end of sin, it leads to death. So the thing about the world, yeah, they're having fun. But they're not really peaceful. They're not really joyful. It's temporary happiness. And you ever notice that, uh, for those of you who are still in the marketplace, you ever notice how many people work with you are living for Friday? They can't wait till the weekend. And then Monday through Thursday night is a drag. And then Friday, it's the weekend. It's like the weekend is temporary. I mean, life is more than just Saturday, right? Saturday night. But the thing is, if you're just living for the next thrill, there's not much substance to that. So notice he says the grass and the flower. So he's saying that outward beauty, material prosperity doesn't last. And I'll prove it to you. Does anybody know the richest man in Asheville from 1920? Anybody at all? 1920. The Vanderbilts, okay. Let's go back 100 years before that. Let's say in western North Carolina, does anybody know the richest man from the 1800s? See, as you go further and further back, it slips your memory. Yeah, we may remember, you know, the last hundred years, but the, the point is, is riches don't last. And yes, you can build monu- monuments, you can build statues, you can build plaques, but eventually that person's forgotten. But how many of you, remember, how many of you will remember um, what, let's say, Charles Haddon Spurgeon did a couple hundred years ago? Uh, Billy Sunday, the people that live for eternity... It continues on. We're still talking about Jesus 2,000 years later because he came in and he changed time and history. So my point is not that it's wrong to have great resources. My point is what's your perspective? Are you living for this temporary moment or are you living for eternity? So James says the poor brother can exalt or boast in the fact that God's going to exalt him. Now, the person that doesn't have Christ and that's just living for this moment He needs to get a better perspective because this world is temporary and it's passing away. 
If you're taking notes, write down 1 John 2, 16 and 17. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is passing away. And it says, The world and all its pleasures are passing away. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. So think about that. All these things, it's not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away. So the story is told of the great evangelist George Whitfield, And he was nearing the end of his life. And he was kind of getting heavy under the burden of ministry. And he was talking to some of his preacher friends. And he was saying, you know what, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm ready to kind of go to the next chapter. I'm ready to be with the Lord because ministry is so hard and the people have been so difficult. And every one of the pastors agreed, except for the oldest man in the room. His name was Mr. Tennant. And Mr. Whitfield knocked him on the, tapped him on the knee and said, well, you, Mr. Tennant. And he's like, I have no thought. And he's like, come on, tell me what you really think. And I want to read you his words. He says, I have nothing to do with death. My business is to live as long as I can and as well as I can and serve my faithfully as my savior, as faithful as I can until he thinks it's time to call me home. George Whitfield saw that as a, a subtle rebuke from the Lord. He's like, I better keep going until God takes me home. So you can never retire from the Lord. You retire from your job, but you never retire from serving the Lord. So going on number three. So we, we talked about how you may have struggles today in this life, but glory awaits you on the other side. Happiness found in this world is fleeting. So don't set your heart on that which is short lived. And finally, your greatest trials today are simply paving the way for the greatest treasure in eternity. I'll say that again. Your greatest trials today are paving the way for your greatest treasure in eternity. Now, what's really beautiful is James addresses the poor, someone that's struggling, going through trials, and then he addresses the rich. But then he gives us an encouragement to the rich. But here's a nugget that I don't want to pass by. Did you know that poverty and wealth are both trials? And some of you are like, well, how is having material prosperity a trial? It's called the treasure test. So whenever you're poor, that's pretty obvious. It's the test of adversity. But whenever the Lord blesses you with great means, it's also a test. Are you going to set your hope in that? Are you going to set your hope in God? Are, are, are you going to store it and stockpile it? Or are you going to invest in eternity? So have you ever thought about that? Having little is a test and a trial. And having much, having great prosperity is also a trial because... We're talking about trials in James, and he lists both as trials. So which side, whichever side of the equation you find yourself on, let's pass the test. If you're struggling and you have very little financial, listen, God is your provider. Look to him. Don't look to people to meet your needs. Look to God. He is, he is the great God who provides. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's going to look to it. He's going to see that he's going to take care of your needs. And if some of you have been blessed with great resources... Uh, in some churches, you'll feel guilty. This church, you, we think that's an equal gift, but invest in those things that are eternal. What, what are, what's eternal, you may ask? The souls of people and the word of God, those things live on forever. So it's great to have wonderful, thriving businesses, but even greater is investing in God's business, the kingdom of God, sharing your faith with others. So... Let's look at verse 12. It says, blessed is the man, and also implies the woman. It's not just uh, guy specific, who endures temptation or trials. For when he has been improved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
I know, I know we have uh, Brother Rick and Brother Luke who love running. The story is told of a world-class female runner, and she was from Connecticut. And she had made her way, or excuse me, she was from New York City, but the race was in Connecticut. So she had made her way down to Connecticut, and she got lost, and she was running late, and she's like, I've got to make it on time. This is the biggest race of the year for me, and the prize is really big. It had a huge cash prize, which if you're fast, that'd be nice to win, right? So she, she went to this gas station, and she asked the, the gas attendant, said, um, you know, I, I'm really uh, late. I'm looking for um, this race, and she described where it was. It was at a shopping mall. Um, it was, in, you know, nearby this town. And he said, I know exactly where you're at. So he gave, gave this lady directions to the race. So she showed up to the shopping mall. To her surprise, there was only a few cars in the parking lot. She's like, I thought this was like a huge race. And so she went to go check in, and the person that checks in the runners uh, looked at her name, and they were really giddy that this famous world runner was at their small little race. They said, you're not signed up, but hold on a second. They wrote down her name, put a tag, and like, you better run to the starting line because the gun's getting ready to shoot off in 60 seconds. So she ran to get ready to run, and the gun was fired, and she took off. And sure enough, she beat all the other competition. In fact, the, the person that got second place was a man who finished four minutes behind her. So this lady beat everybody. So as she went to the finish line, she was looking for her prize of money, the great award, and all she got was that a girl. You did such a good job. We're so glad. And she's like, what's the name of this race? And once she found out the name of the race, she found out she was in the wrong town. It was another town nearby. So she had showed up to the wrong race. She went to the wrong starting line, the wrong finish line, and she missed out on the prize. So a lot of times in life, we're running hard and fast and furious. But have you ever thought about maybe you're running in the wrong direction? Maybe you're going after things that don't really matter. And I think that's what James is trying to say. Listen, it's great to have resources. It's great to be blessed and things that this world considers fortunate. But that's not, that's not the greatest thing. Because you only have one life. It'll soon be passed. But only what is done for Christ will last. You have only one life to live. What are you living for? So when you look at this text, it says, Blessed is the man or woman who endures testing. The word blessed, you may want to circle, it kind of reminds us of a beatitude. And in my research, I found this is, one scholar said this means to be richly contended in the favor of God. Richly contended in the favor of God. He said it's to bask in the smile of God in all his blessings. So think about that. Richly contended. This is like the equivalent of a biblical high five. Way to go. Blessed is the man. And you're like, okay, blessed is the man that goes through testing. Blessed is the man that passed the test, who endures it. For when he has been improved, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. At the end of your trial lies glorious treasure. So don't give up. The story is told in 1976 before I was born in the Montreal Olympics. Um, there was a famous gymnast from Japan. His name was Shun Fujimoto. And as he was competing, he broke his right knee during the floor exercises. And everyone thought he was just going to you know, withdraw from the competition. But he decided, my best competition is the rings, and that's next. And I don't know how I will handle landing 
on the dismount, but, you know, he decided to go on through it. So he went to do the dismount. He did a triple somersault, and he landed with tremendous impact upon his knees. And everybody had that sigh of, like, what's going to happen that, that took their breath away. When he landed, his knee didn't buckle, and he stood up straight, and he ended up winning the gold medal. And in an interview afterward, they asked him, Mr. Fujimoto, uh, tell me what happened. And listen to his words. The pain shot through me like a knife. It brought tears to my eyes. But now I have the gold medal. The pain is all gone. So in this life, you may be having pain. You may be having suffering, tribulation. But you know what the Bible says? That if we just hang in there, we keep following Jesus. It says the glory that shall be revealed. This pain is not even considered worthy even think about. Because imagine if you have a hundred bad years of life. Don't you think God has all eternity to make it up for you, what you went through in this life? So no matter what you're going through, just realize God has a, a plan for you. So the crown of life, what crown is he referring to? If you look at your listening guide in this culture, there were at least three basic crowns. The first one is the crown of joy. How many of you ladies have gotten married? You remember the wedding day? You remember the flowers that go around some bride's head? A lot of the Trinity brides wear this. This was picturistic of a woman on her wedding day. She had a crown of flowers. So this is one of the crowns of life in this day. The other one was a crown of royalty. When you think of a famous crown that symbolizes royalty, this is what kings or queens, prince or princesses wore. And it showed the royal bloodline. So the bride wore the crown of flowers to show that she was married and happy. The king or queen wore it to show that they're royalty. But then the crown of life, I think, that it's referring to is the crown of victory. And this is in the Greek games. And whenever they would compete in the Olympics and such, the Greek athletic games, the winner who got first place would receive this laurel wreath that was given to the crown. And you think about the laurel wreath. I mean, it's like I, I would rather have a plate of gold than that, right? You compete for a plant on your head? Come on now. But it was symbolic that you had won. So I think this text specifically is referring to the future crown. If you will endure, if you will make it through, God will give you this amazing crown. And some translations is the crown, which is life. So we have life upon life. So in this, the moment you receive Christ, you have eternal life. But guess what? When you get to heaven, it's life upon life. I mean, you're, you're entering into a perfect world. So now you have eternal life, but eternal life and perfection is waiting. We have eternal life in a fallen world, right? But one day our body that's temporary will be, will have a new glorified body. So the beautiful thing is, is when you receive Christ, your soul and your spirit are made new. You're, you're, you become a new creation. God takes a dead spirit and makes you new. And all of a sudden, the, the future awaits is so beautiful. But here's something I want to bring as application. This is just a spiritual application. I think it is referring to the victor's crown. But have you thought about the other crowns? Let's look at the first one, the crown of joy. The bride wears this on her wedding day. Did you realize that you're the bride of Christ? And you can wear this in a spiritual sense that I'm part of his family. I like to joke around with some of the guys. You know, I'm a husband, but one day I'm going to be a bride, the bride of Christ. And they're like, what? Spiritually speaking, Right. So, uh, sorry, wives, I, I, you know, you just get to be a wife. I'm a husband, and one day I'm going to be a bride. So. 
Don't put that on Facebook. They won't understand what we're talking about. But spiritually speaking, the bride of Christ, um, the crown of royalty. If Jesus is the king and he's adopted us into his family, we're his sons or daughters. So we should be walking around with a little bit of confidence, confidence in God, a little bit of spiritual, just God is with me and God is for me. So I'm not going to walk around like, you know, a nobody. I'm a somebody because I belong to Jesus. So going back to verse nine, the poor can exalt and, and, and God's exalting. What is that? Well, I'm now a son or daughter. So I may be poor in the eyes of this world, but guess what? My inheritance, I haven't fully received all of it yet. It's coming. And then the crown of life, which I think he's referring to. So we don't have time to go into depth, but Colin Smith is a great international Bible teacher connected with Moody Bible Institute. And I've listed ten things that he talks about. The Bible talks about rewards. So we mentioned the crown of life, but here's some other things he talks about. Fasting and prayer. So whenever the Bible talks about you pray and fast, God sees that in rewards. Compassion for the vulnerable. Excuse me. Compassion for the vulnerable. Someone that's poor, suffering, struggling. The Bible says if you help the poor, the needy, God, God's going to see that and reward you. Number three, bearing insults and being excluded for the name of Christ. Has anybody ever not included you because you're a Christian? Is anybody, you didn't get invited to that party because they're like, well, there's going to be a lot of drinking and this person's not a party or so we're not going to invite him. Well, the Bible says rejoice in that day for great is your reward in heaven. Love for your enemies. Did you realize there's a reward when you love those who don't love you? Because that's supernatural love. Number five, generous giving. As I mentioned, the world teaches give. Christianity teaches give. And when you give, God rewards. Number six, hospitality that cannot be repaid. You ever do something nice for someone that can't do something nice back for you? The Bible says you'll be rewarded for that. Endurance through pressures in ministry. For those of you who have been Sunday school teachers, nursery workers. And I tell you, working in the nursery, realize, there, <laughs> let me read this verse. It says, for the light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So that three-year-old that is hard to watch if you're doing it for Christ, guess what? God sees that. Number eight, quality work for your employer. As we mentioned in the last series, if you do it for Jesus, your work can become worship. Number nine, faithfulness through trials. Exactly what we're talking about today. If you endure testing, there's a reward. Faithfulness to the truth. And I'm glad we closed with this one because we live in such a postmodern world where truth is relative. You make up your own truth. Everybody's truth is what they want it to be. Some people's truth is what they listen to on the news broadcast that day. Listen, the truth is found in God's word. It is true. It is unchanging. It is eternal. So Christians shouldn't strive to be politically correct. We should strive to be biblically correct. Amen. So final story. and We're finished. Um, some of you have watched Dateline NBC. And several years back, they, they featured this story. And it was a young man who wanted to take the best pictures that had ever been taken. I know some of you are photographers in here. So this is back when North Alaska was really unexplored and desolate regions. So in his preparation, he took 500 rolls of film, 1,400 pounds of food, and cartons of notebooks to serve as his diaries. And what he was going to do is take photos of the landscape, the animals, the scenic beauty that no one had ever captured before. And his journal entries are really exciting. 
until he started running out of food and he began to freeze to death. One thing he neglected is he had not made arrangements for someone to come back and get him. He had prepared the food, he had prepared everything, but he didn't have a exit strategy for someone to come get him. And in that day and time, pre-cell phone, he didn't have any communication, and all of a sudden he froze and died to death. One of his last entries in his journal, and I read, quote, I should have used more foresight. I should have planned for my departure. I'm so sorry. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.18, So we fix our eyes not what on is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So your take-home truth is this. When I realize that life is short, I discover this one truth. You have only one life that will soon be passed, and only what is done for Christ will last. So if you're poor and struggling, set your hope to Jesus and know that you're spiritually rich. If you're rich in the things of this world, that's a blessing. Don't hoard it. Don't set your heart on it. Use it for God and his kingdom. And you know what? One life to live, but one eternity to enjoy all that we did for Christ, all the rewards that the Bible promises. So your action step is simple. Reevaluate your life. Are you doing now? Is it, is it making a difference in eternity? Because only what is done for Christ will last. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we realize that your word is powerful. And God, I know it's convicting. I know it for myself. Uh, many times I set my mind on what I don't have and I can fall into the materialism trap. I wish I had more. I wish I had bigger and better. But God, James tells me to exalt and rejoice and boast in the fact that God is going to exalt the lowly. So, Father, I pray for everyone here that's struggling financially. That's a test. Help them to put their hope and their faith in Jesus Christ, who is the giver of all good gifts. And, Father, I pray also for my Christian brothers and sisters who have great means. Help them not to feel like James is looking down on them because he's not. He's helping us to realize that eternity is what truly matters. And help us to use whatever resources we've been given to realize it's a gift from God. To enjoy them. To just realize that not only for our enjoyment, but to invest in eternity. So right now with everyone praying, would there be someone that would say, Timothy, you mentioned there are two trials. The trial of poverty, the trial of prosperity. And I, I'm not going to ask you which side you're on, but pray for me that God would help me to pass the test. If that's you. Just slip up your hand, and only God sees your hands. Father, you, you see our hearts. You see some of our hands. Help us to pass the test. Whether it be prosperity or poverty, help us to be content in whatever Christ's situation he has us in. And if there be one here today that hasn't made departure, for made time and thought about your departure, as the last story we read, the Bible says today, here and now, you can make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And if you're willing to admit that you're a sinner, that you need the Savior, just right where you're at, no magical prayer, just your heart of faith. Say, Jesus, I want to make provision for not just here, but for eternity. And I ask and pray that, Jesus, you would come into my life. You would forgive me of my sins. I need a new start. I make you my Lord and Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. 
Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.